Hey, this is Daryl from Snapcase, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. This is Keith. And Tommy. And we're back on a Monday night to bring you the goods. Tonight on the show, we have Nick Beard from Circa Survive. We're very excited about this. Tommy, do you realize that this completes our trader card set of Circa <laughs> Survive interviews? Yeah, we got it. We have all five now. So We've got all five. We have collected them all. We are the only podcast to speak to every member of the band, as far as I know. And uh, we're very excited about it. I want to hear about the history of Circa Survive. I want to hear about Nick getting the call all the way in California to move to Pennsylvania to be in the band. I am, I'm excited to talk to him. I think he's also the member of the band I've spoken to the least. Same here. So I'm very interested to hear how he got from Taken into Circa. And I think uh, that's going to be a really interesting story because uh, I know that there was a pretty extensive search for members of Circus Survive, I remember hearing when it was formed, like people were like, well, I'm trying out. And I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people were trying out or people really wanted to try out. And and of course, Taken. Taken is another great band. I've been listening to them a lot lately. And yeah, a lot of classics, Tommy. A lot of good material to mine for this discussion. I'm interested to hear uh, a lot about, like, I mean, I really want to talk about the recording of the new EP because it it is such not it's not a huge change in sound for them but it, there's a definitive like okay this is a kind of a new direction so I, I really am curious to find out how they decided on that yes so we are very excited to speak to nick and folks a quick reminder follow us on every platform that there is facebook the new scene page youtube the new scene twitter and instagram new scene pod and of course my favorite twitch.tv slash the new scene give us a follow we're we are on the road to 3500 followers tommy on instagram can you believe that no me either <laughs> think about it, less less than two years ago it was two people yeah it was less than two years ago that was there were two people on that page and me that, and you yeah, yeah i was gonna say it was <laughs> you and then me, and then probably Vadim, and then, uh, you know, anybody else that was like we were close with and just said, hey, please follow this. <laughs> remember when it was the Northeast scene? I remember Vadim was like, yeah, you followed me from some page called the Nebraska scene or something. And I was like, oh, that name's going to be a problem. <laughs> it's from day one, it was problematic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't have that problem anymore. And now we're rolling. We're rolling. So let's talk about some new music, Tommy. So our friends in Chiefland have a new song coming out this week, Thursday, December 17th. It's called Every Creature Dies Alone. Tommy and I have gotten a sneak preview. Now, Tommy, I have to say, I was a little worried because I read that the band had parted ways with their vocalist and they have a new one now because, you know, a vocalist change is a big deal. That can kind of make or break the band. Mm -hmm. But I listened to this song multiple times and oh my goodness, it is a big leap forward to them. Super catchy, super catchy chorus. I absolutely love what they're doing. I love it. 
no screaming this time. And I thought what the first thing I sent to you when I got done with listening to it, I was like, it found, sounds like later era hopes fall. It really does. Yeah. It really does. It's like good. Think Arbiter. Like that's where I'm, that's where it's at. Yeah. It's like good, good post hardcore sounding stuff. So keep an eye out for the song. And folks, Chiefland was on episode 47 of our podcast this year, Tommy. Can you yeah. believe it was this year that we spoke to them? It was 2021? Yes. What the fuck? It, it's so <laughs> weird. I, I think about time in terms of the podcast now, and I look back to an episode and I remember what was going on, and boy, this has been a whirlwind of a year. Yeah, that was a really crazy episode to record because I remember uh, they were calling in internationally. And we did it on a, I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday. Because I remember being in my basement and I came upstairs and my daughters were like, who was on this episode? They're usually not awake when we get done recording on Monday nights. Like they're asleep by then. I remember coming upstairs and I was like, it was a band from Germany. And they were like, what? <laughs> like they were all like, how did you talk to them? I'm like, well, that's how the internet works, sweetie. <laughs> like, yeah, it is pretty wild. You know what song of theirs I go back to time and time again? Untied. I almost cry at the end, Tommy, I, I think I must have been listening to this song a lot when I was going through a tough time earlier this year, because the lyrics kind of tie into some personal stuff. And there's this big breakdown at the end that's just so emotional. I almost cry every time I hear it. That's a really cool thing is when we tie uh, songs to emotion. And that's kind of the opposite of what we've talked about before. Remember, we talked about there's certain songs that you've tied to an emotion that is so strong that you don't listen to that song much anymore. This is kind of the opposite of it is that you kind of get some type of uh, release from listening to something like that. That's really awesome. Exactly. And folks, that song is on our Spotify 2021 playlist. Search it out on Spotify and follow it. You want to hear this song, trust me. Okay, so folks, some big juicy scene news. Now, it seems there's trouble in the Every Time I Die camp. There is some tweets going back and forth, and we're going to get into it now and share our thoughts. And folks, as a disclaimer, we don't personally know anybody in Every Time I Die. We are merely going to discuss the events happening and theorize on them. Now, in case you didn't see the news, the band had made an announcement on Twitter that they were going to be completing the last leg of their tour without vocalist Keith Buckley. Keith had announced that he was taking some time off to focus on mental health and prepare for the Tid the Season shows. That's the annual big shows they do up in Buffalo around Christmas time. Shortly after that, the band announced that they were going to continue with the tour without Keith and that they would just have people in the crowd sing along or something like that. Shortly after that, Keith Buckley posted and said that he overheard his own brother, Every Time I Die guitarist Jordan Buckley, plotting to replace him just in the other room while he was meditating before a show. So Keith sends out those tweets saying that he heard this and that the band's plotting to replace him. So then the band made an announcement that they were going to cancel the remainder of the shows, but they would be working together with Keith and gearing up for those Tid the Season shows. To which Keith responded separately, see you there. Now, Tommy, there's a lot going on here, and here's what I think. There's obviously a communication breakdown, right? Keith is posting one thing from his account. The band is posting something else from their account. You know, then the band posts an update from the band account, and Keith responds to that from his account. Uh, so there's clearly a big communication breakdown. Maybe there's been some separation because 
I know Keith mentioned that he is traveling separately from the band, I think to preserve his sobriety and mental health, which I get because I have personal experience with this, Tommy. When you get sober and you leave behind your old life, there's a lot of associations you have to break. You know, maybe he doesn't feel comfortable traveling with the band because maybe he has like a drinking association with those people and he doesn't want to kick up those temptations. Uh, Maybe members of the band are upset that he's traveling separately and has to change things, especially considering his brother is in the band. So you have a whole family aspect, too. There's a lot going on, Tommy, and we're not sure exactly what's going on. But uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I I think it kind of you kind of hit the nail on the head with that. It seems like they they live completely separate lives. And in large part, I guess, due to his sobriety, which good for him, your health is paramount to any type of artistic pursuit or anything. I mean, without being sober, uh, you know, that some people that's that's the end of the line for them. Like they this is you you need to get sober in order to make sure that you are mentally and physically able to perform. And I, I feel like, you know, again, like you said, we don't know the whole story. But uh, from what it sounds like is they are kind of like, you know, still keeping up with whatever partying they're doing. He's, you know, separating himself, rightfully so, you know, to keep himself straight. I think my biggest concern would be the fact that you kind of nailed with the communication part. Like, why aren't they having this conversation? They're in a band. You know, like, why aren't they having this conversation together rather than via Twitter? If I ever have to have a conversation through Twitter, first of all, I have four accounts. So that's an, <laughs> you that's have an, no it, problem there. That's now I was going to say I, they wouldn't know which account to look at. The other thing I, I it kind of goes back to is he mentioned something in one of the tweets that kind of it kind of hit me pretty hard, which was he he talked about his his brother expressing concern for him, and he guess I you know he was like I guess that was all kind of an act, and I that's where I'm like this is a family issue. This is something where, you know, clearly when you get sober, uh, there are a lot of people that are concerned for you. Like that's the reason they're, you know, offering the help and most likely you're accepting it. I think it gets really, really tough when people have different motivations. So for example, I don't know anybody's motivation behind this, but it seems like Keith's primary focus is making sure that he's healthy, he's sober and he's performing the best he can. He even mentions that in the tweet, like, you know, I, I'm at my best ever. You know, this is the best I've ever performed. If they're not seeing that as, hey, he's doing really great. He's not only healthy, but he's fucking killing it as the front man. Let's keep this going. There's clearly something else that's that's not being put out there or there's something else that's kind of lurking underground that we don't know about. There may be some personality difficulties that alcohol was able to kind of cover before like where people were like i don't want to deal with his shit and they just got drunk and then they were like all right we can be friendly when we're drunk i have been in this situation where family members have a certain perception of you and once you get sober that changes you know when i did what i did before i was a completely different person and now that i'm me now sober i can advocate for myself and say no, this is what I want to do. This is what I don't want to do. And that can be hard for some people, especially family. So I'm sure there's some of that going on. Yeah, for sure. But either way, we wish them the best. I hope everything works out. I hope they, uh, whatever decisions get made, it's for the betterment of the entire band. And I hope for everybody, their their health is in the primary consideration. Yes, yeah, same here. I love the band. The fans absolutely love the band. So I hope that everyone's cool and that the band can continue unfazed so 
Listen, folks, we're out of time for this segment, but come back for segment three. We're going to pick winners for the Earth Crisis and One Step Closer records. Ooh, exciting. But right now, we're going to talk to Nick Beard of Circus Survive. Enjoy. All right, folks, we're here now with Nick Beard. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, what's up, dude? Hey, we're doing great, and we're so happy to have you here. You know, you've done so much in music with both Taken and Circus Survive. And you know, Nick, you complete our trader card set of Circus Survive interviews. Now, you are you are the last remaining piece of the puzzle. How does it feel? You did a, You did uh, one with Steve as well? Oh, yeah. No shit. Yeah, an exclusive. I, I've heard he has not done a, a ton of interviews, but I got it done. No, I'd, I just, I would assume that he would, uh, he would just not want to do it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have my ways. I have my ways. But Nick, <laughs> we are very excited to have you here. You know, I'm excited to get to know you even better. So let me start off by asking, how are you doing today? Uh, today I'm doing really good. I mean, I feel kind of tired, honestly, but we had a day off practice. So I just kind of, uh, took care of some, some business, some Patreon business and, uh, just kind of relax today. That's good. That's good. So where do you live? What is your story? I don't even know what coast you're on, what town you're in. <laughs> uh, well, currently I'm living in Philadelphia in, in Fishtown. Um, so you're living have, in Fishtown? Yes. Wow. I moved here like two years ago. I've always lived out like uh, near the rest of the dudes, like uh, in the Doylestown area. Right. But my my wife started going to school in the city and then she got tired of taking the train so she was like we're moving to the city i'm like all right (laughs) how long have you been married now uh five years a little over yeah nice how are you enjoying city living so far uh it's actually been awesome i was a little bit hesitant about it i've never really lived in the city before and i thought i would just get super annoyed at parking and like just the chaos of it all like i kind of like Peace and quiet. So I thought it was going to suck, but uh, it's actually pretty awesome. Yeah, I love Fishtown. I used to live there too. Steve lived there at one point too from your band, and it's like a nice little community. He he left, and then like less than a year later, I moved, and then we were just talking about it. He thought it was funny because <laughs> he was there for like ten years, and then as soon as he left, I'm like, well, my turn. <laughs> <laughs> you just take turns, you know. Yeah. Let's take it back a bit, Nick. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Southern California, um, like an hour south of L.A. What kind of uh, upbringing was it? Your typical suburban deal? like? Yeah, I would say so. Pretty much like your standard white American <laughs> suburban upbringing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah, we did that too. Tell us about some of your early music experience. Have you always been interested in music and playing music? Uh, not exactly. I think, you, you know, grow, I feel like everybody likes music to a degree right like i don't i don't know if there's anybody that like doesn't like hear songs that they just that make them feel something at some point in their life but uh music didn't really like play a big role for me until high school and i remember it was like summer break um from school and i was kind of just bored at home and i was like going through my sister's cds and I popped in um, Metallica's uh, Injustice for All and then like literally just the guitar intro of uh, Blackened. As I was listening to it, I was like, okay, I'm just going to learn how to do that. 
like, <laughs> I, I didn't know how to play guitar at all, but I was like, I, I want to know how to do that. Like it would, it just sounded so fucking cool. And I was like, all right, this summer I'm going to learn guitar. Like my aunt gave me an acoustic guitar when I was like five or something. And then it just like sat in the closet. Right. And until that point I was like, oh yeah, I have a guitar. And I, I busted it out and like read the like 1985 uh, guide to acoustic guitar playing book that she gave, (laughs) (laughs) she gave me with it. And, uh, just, learned guitar like you know kind of by ear this is like pre-internet it was the infant stages of the internet so it wasn't so easy to just like look up a youtube video of like how to play blackened by metallica but my uncle played guitar so the next time he came over i was like hey you got to show me some stuff and then he showed me some stuff and that kind of kick-started a little more than um, when school started back up, I found a bunch of friends in high school that played guitar and they, they like showed me how to read tab and they gave me some tabs and, uh, it kind of just snowballed from there, you know, like, like you find your friend in high school that, um, plays drums and then you're like, well, let's get together and mess around and see what happens. And that actually, that the drummer I found was the, the drummer of Taken and that was kind of how we started playing yeah it all kind of just snowballed like that so i have to ask did you learn the intro from blackened uh uh, yeah actually me me and well not during the summer i will admit that i i didn't get that good that fast but me and troy the the drummer of taken that was basically what we bonded over because he was a big metallica fan too so he he had all the like uh tab books that you would buy at a you know, guitar center. <laughs> like, you remember those? Remember the booklets that just had oh, like yeah. the entire album? My friend had the guitar book for Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins. And I, I was looking through it and it, it had the lyrics, which I had never read before. I was looking at it like it was the Bible. I was like, oh my God, look at all of this. <laughs> yeah. So he, he had all the books. So we basically, you know, I'll go to I'll go over to his house after school and we would just try to like learn as much as we could. And that was definitely one. The thing about the black in- intro guitar is that a, a big part of the sound of it is like the tone that they get, the two harmonized guitars, like with, I mean, I guess now it sounds like they just have like all the high end rolled off of it. It's got that real like Les Paul top pickup tone roll off sound. Anyway, we we didn't know how to do that part of it. Like we didn't know how to make it sound like that, but we we learned the two guitar parts and would harmonize, play that for for hours. So you meet Troy in high school, and he ends up being the drummer of Taken. Did you form Taken in high school? Yeah, actually, it was junior year. So that that kind of all happened quick. This so the year I started playing guitar was between freshman and sophomore year, and then sophomore year we we started a different band before Taken that was called. Um, doomed society (laughs) yeah and uh and that was sophomore year and then i think after soft like during the summer after sophomore year he started taking with uh the singer ray and they like didn't include me at first oh okay so wait backing up i was a guitar player in doomed society i didn't even play bass and so troy and Ray, ray was also the singer of doomed society so Troy and Ray started a new band and didn't include me. 
And I was kind of, I was honestly like pretty hurt about it, but like didn't say anything, you know what I mean? Like, like I I didn't like put it out there like, hey guys, I would like, I would like to play in this band, but I just thought that they would have me play in the band and they didn't. And they like found these other dudes to play. And I remember like, I I would like, dude, I was such a little, uh, friend zoned guy. (laughs) <laughs> like, <laughs> because I was like super supportive, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, dude, you guys are awesome. Like, I would like uh, take their gear to the show, <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, no. Um, anyway, they played one show and um, and they were just like, man, this bass player sucks. And like, they were like telling me this, right? They're just like, oh, this guy's terrible. Like, we need to get a new bass player. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, yeah. You do. Hmm. Uh, and then anyway, Troy was like, he was like, dude, you could probably play bass, right, Nick? And I was like, hmm, God, I don't know, man. Yeah, I can. Um, and that was, yeah, that was, so that was basically how I switched to bass. And uh, I probably wasn't very good at all, but apparently I was better than, than that guy, the original guy. Did you ever confront Ray and Troy and say, why? Why was I not in the original lineup? Why you know, didn't you pick me? I think I talked to Troy about it very recently, actually. We were hanging out. Actually, at the, the sh- remember the show that you were at in Philly recently? Yes. During that, those shows, I think it got brought up. I was just like, I was like, Troy, did you know that like, I was like pretty bummed you guys didn't <laughs> invite me to play and take him right away? And he's like, really? Like, why didn't, you should have just told us you wanted to be in the band and we would have had you. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's interesting that you say, you were so friend zoned, like you weren't selected for the band, and then you're helping them carry the equipment to the show. Friend zone's not the right word. I'm trying. I'm like, uh, like cucked. Is that yeah? <laughs> no, because because I relate to that so much. Like, I I don't know how much of it is reality versus my own perception, but I feel like I was never the guy. You know, like I was never picked to be in bands or picked to be on the sports team or like I was always just hanging around like I was never in the mix and I think I think part of that which maybe you alluded to was I never spoke up I was just too afraid that's I think that's like honestly such a huge part of um stuff like that like you have to speak up you have to put yourself out there and um to this day I'm a very like reserved and like shy person so the fact that any of this even happened to me is like a total like stroke of luck. Like all, all of these things that happened to me are just like almost miracles. You know what I mean? Like if they did, if they hadn't asked me to be the bass player of Taken, then like I, I certainly wouldn't be here today because it was only through that connection that I met all the circuit dudes and and played bass at all. So you know, if that never happened, I probably would have stopped playing music shortly after right because i didn't you know like i wouldn't have had the the drive to like start my own kind of band so unless someone else had, i mean maybe i'd be in like fucking taylor swift's band right now like who knows like something else could have <laughs> happened right but yeah it's just kind of funny how it all came together you know that's why i'm always interested in everybody's individual story because sometimes you have people that are like yeah i knew i was going to do this since i was six years old and I was in my first band when I was 10 and I, I made these moves and I went out and played by myself. And then, you know, other stories, it just kind of happens. You know, you're in the right place at the right time and you just make it happen. 
Yeah, it's wild. I mean, either way, it just requires like an insane amount of luck. Like, even if you're the guy that's like fully just like invested in like, I'm going to make this happen. Like, you know how many people are like that and then just don't do anything because you can be the the most talented person in the world with the most drive, but like you just don't hit the right connection at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Right place, right time with a lot of that stuff. It's just, yeah, it's like 99.9% luck. It really is. It's, it's part luck, part who, you know, and part right place, right time. Like I was, when I was younger, I was like, I'm going to be in bands. I'm going to play. This is what I'm going to do. But when I think back on it now, I wasn't really doing anything. Like I I would show up to my band's shows Mm -hmm. and I would always be prepared, but I wouldn't like hang around to see the other bands all the time. I wasn't going to a ton of shows to meet other people. And I didn't understand that I could be in more than one band at once. And I remember I almost got recruited for some band and I was like, oh no, I'm already in a band. You're like, Like, I'm sorry, I'm spoken for. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was like a relationship where like you're monogamous. So I I just didn't. To be fair, it is for some people. I think it is, you know, like some people get butthurt when, when other people in their band start branching out. And I think here's the rule in my mind, as long as it doesn't mess up the other band, you should be able to do what you want. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in high school. We're in Taken now. We're playing bass. Were you into like hardcore and those types of music at the time? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it started with metal, right? Like Metallica and Slayer and Pantera and all, you know, all those major metal bands. And then Ray, Ray was the one that like got us into hardcore, really. So Doom Society was more kind of like thrash kind of metal stuff. And then Ray was like all into strife and earth crisis and you know integrity and just all that unbroken whatever and um he he turned me and troy onto that kind of music and then that's that's when they started taking because they were like oh we want to play like hardcore not like metal slash punk yeah and i mean like i was i got super into to hardcore and stuff at that time nice so what are some of the bands that influenced taken early on because there was a lot of bands that developed this kind of melodic, hardcore metal sound. Mm-hmm. This Day Forward, Taken, Hope's Fall we've had on the show. It's all kind of like somewhat under the same stratosphere. For sure. And I, I'm sure we would all probably say the same bands. Um, I mean, for Taken, Unbroken was probably the biggest influence, I think. Um, which maybe maybe that doesn't fall on the East Coast as much, but... Um, it was Unbroken, and then it was uh, Caven. Like, Caven was, like, what they started doing with with hardcore and then, like, making it more melodically focused. Uh, we were like, well, that's that's what we really want to do. Like, I think Caven is, like, the radio head of the hardcore scene. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Their, their reach and their influence, I think it just it's just massive. Yeah. So, talk about the early days of Taken. How do we take it from... We're in high school and we're starting this thing to things are starting to pick up and we're getting out and playing out on the road. You know, during high school, it was all we were playing like the local clubs around the area, just like on the weekends, kind of building like a decent local fan base. And I remember, I think it was like as we were about to graduate, like Ray started looking into trying to book some shows out. You know, and um, uh, he was the one that kind of like got all that going. Like he would reach out to uh, 
different bands from like Las Vegas, like Curl Up and Die and um, like Northern California. And then, so as soon as we were done with high school, he was like booking like little trips, right? Like little day trips out to, to Vegas or to San Diego or to San Francisco. And then um, it was probably one, the, ne- the following summer, like after we graduated, like, cause everybody was like working, right? We all had normal jobs. So what ended up kind of becoming the pattern was that he would like book like a summer tour, like with just, uh, I don't, I, I honestly, without the internet, I have no fucking idea how he used to do that shit, <laughs> but, um, somehow he did, right. He would just like reach out to, uh, I don't know, people from all over and they would like just set us up shows. And I mean, I guess it's easier when you're basically like, don't ask for money at all. It's just like, Hey, we want to do a show. And like, if you can pay us like, cool, if not like whatever. And so, yeah, we like all year we would, we would all basically work and save our money and then like go do these, these summer tours where we would just like blow our whole year's savings, but we loved it. So we did it, you know, every year, I guess maybe three, three or four years we might've been doing that. And, and that's where we met this day forward was like the second tour we did like that. He hooked up with those guys and they were like, Oh, we'll book, we'll book, uh, we'll book the East coast and you book the West coast and we'll like take turns closing the shows and we'll just go around and play in front of 10 people every night. (laughs) (laughs) How did you meet this day forward? Was it at a particular show and you guys just hit it off? Well, I mean, the first time we met them was at our first show of our tour. So I don't, like, again, I don't know how Ray did it. Like, I don't know what his process was. I never really got into that with him. But, like, he he connected with, I want to say Mike, but I'm actually not really sure. But they were the ones that, like, hey, let's put this tour together. And I remember our first show was in um, uh, Ventura, California, so this Dave Horat had to to do a full drive across the U.S. to to meet us for our first show. I think they had issues with uh with their their van or something, and they ended up having to like get a new van right before they left and just like drove straight there. And they literally got to the show right when they were supposed to play, <laughs> like from across the country. They drove straight pulled up to the venue and as they pulled up we were all waiting to like grab their gear and put it on stage <laughs> so oh they can God. play uh, and they did and it was fucking awesome isn't it incredible how much you can accomplish when you're young and you have that much energy and drive it's crazy like i mean all that shit's crazy like i said the first so not that tour but the very first tour that we did ray booked right through whatever all these people and um it was like a a 30 show like full full US thing and like by the time it all happened 80% of the shows didn't end up happening <laughs> like oh man we only ended up playing i think four shows like the first show was in virginia and then it was like virginia boston then like toronto and montreal and then we drove home <laughs> <laughs> how did all those other shows fall apart i don't know but what would happen would you just drive up and they'd be like no no show or for for that one i feel like a lot of it ended up at least was being was canceled like enough in advance that like it wasn't like we were pulling up to these places and they were like nope sorry 
it it was kind of like a week before the tour started, Ray was like, oh man, like all the first two weeks all canceled. Oh. We're like, okay. <laughs> and then I, I think it might've even been a thing where we ended up canceling other shows just cause it wouldn't make sense to like, you know what I mean? Like without those holes in between, It'd be like, oh, let's drive to Seattle, then the, the next show's in Florida, then the next show's... You know what I mean? So, like, it was kind of a, a thing where a lot of them canceled, and then we canceled some just because they made absolutely no sense routing-wise. I mean, the whole thing made no sense routing-wise, but it was basically, <laughs> like, a road trip that we enjoyed. Played some shows. What was the mindset at the time? What was your goal? Did you think, you know, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, or... This is what I'm doing right now. Where were you at with it? So I think on that f- on the first tour, it was literally just like this is a, this is going to be a fun road trip with my friends. And after we did the first one, I was like, well, that was really fun, and I I want to just keep doing that as much as I can. I certainly didn't think that it would be a thing that I would be able to do like as a career. I just thought like, well, I'm only like 19. So I don't really care if this makes sense financially or whatever. Like I still live with my parents, like they're supporting me. Like I'm just going to do this as long as I can. And that's kind of how it went right for those next, um, those next three or four years. It was like every summer we would just go and lose all the money and like, it was worth it. <laughs> you know, it was like, was it always like that where you, you'd go and tour and just lose all your money? Or did you ever reach a point where it's like, Hey, we're starting to see some returns here. This is good. No, no. (laughs) Taken certainly did not make money. Like, I mean, like we started at least getting paid at some shows, right? But it was like not, it wouldn't even cover gas. You know what I mean? Like it was, but we really just didn't care. Near, near the end, near the, near the last tours, it definitely, I started to feel like I really wish I could do this. Like I would love to do this full time, but like, that's like, I, I just knew that it wasn't a realistic thing to do. Right. I was like, well, I would absolutely love this to be my life, but, uh, it's just not going to be. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm thinking about the, I remember seeing you guys out all the time, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, cause I would be out on tours with this day forward. And I always remember seeing you at shows. Those were fun days. You would just, like, that was your life. Oh, we're driving to this random state to go to a show, and we're going to see these guys who we see sometimes. You'd run into Taken. You'd run into Poison the Well. You'd run into this band. You'd run into that band. It was like... It was so fun. It was a really fun time. Yeah, it was amazing. I have this vivid memory of we were at some fest or show or something, and Ray had drank fruit punch, and he was, he was going around and showing everybody that his tongue had turned red. I don't know why I remember that, but it's, it's just, it's something I'll never forget. That sounds very Ray. It was really funny. Well, let's talk more about Taken. Mm-hmm. Now, we're touring, we're playing, right? What year did the band come to an end? Like the end of 2003, I think, is like where we decided that we were going to end it. And then we booked like our final shows, which were like maybe around April of 2004, something like that. Why did you decide you were going to end it? What ended up happening was, I think in 2002, uh, Troy quit the band to to focus on school and stuff. And that was a hard blow, right? But we we pushed through and we found another drummer, Juan, 
to to take over and and we did that for like another year and then our guitarist Dan quit and we replaced him with uh, our friend Eric and um and then we did that for like maybe another year with Eric and Juan and then I think Eric was like wanted to quit <laughs> yeah and I think it just it yeah it was like at the point where Eric was like yeah I think I think I gotta like figure something else out like I can't keep can't keep doing these kinds of tours and that was kind of the last straw and we're just like you know what like he's right <laughs> like <laughs> this is awesome but like and, and it's funny because you at the time you think you're like actually an old man you're just like oh, i'm 22 now <laughs> i gotta like i gotta figure my shit out yeah um but that was basically it you know we just got to a point like i started feeling pressure for my parents for sure just like hey like um, we're glad you're having fun but like you should probably start figuring out life at this point right yeah and i think i I just put a lot of pressure on myself too that that was the truth and like yeah i do have to figure out my life so uh you know like go back to school and study like computers or some shit i don't know (laughs) we had planned our final shows in april ish and um so this is still back at the end of 2003 where we we made these plans and so I'm making plans for after that. I'm like, that was my plan. I was going to go to school. Like I, w- I was thinking about trying to be like a video game programmer or something. And I started looking into it. Like I was in the process of looking into it. And then um, Brendan hit me up and he was like, hey, me and Colin are starting a new band. And I was like, okay. and he's like i think it's really it's going to be really good and we've got uh anthony from seosins in it too and to rewind a little bit taken we recorded our last record with Bo from seosin and i met anthony there while we were recording and um i just like thought he was incredible i was like this kid's like insane like I remember legit in the studio with Taken just being like, fuck, I wish I was in a band with Anthony. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're, they're going somewhere. You know, I was like, I wish I played bass like in Seos and that'd be awesome. I like to hear other people's perspectives as far as Anthony, because, you know, Circus Survive is a very well-known band right now. Mm-hmm. So I want to check myself and make sure I'm not doing like a backwards <laughs> uh, revisionist history thing. Right. So, so you you're in Taken and you see Seosin performing, you hear them and you're thinking like, man, I wish I was in a band with Anthony at that time. Yeah, and th- and this was also this was after Taken decided we were done. This we we had decided we were going to break up. That was okay. That was it. We decided we were going to break up, but we had a few new songs and we wanted to record our final EP and do those final shows. Um, and that's when we booked time with Bo went in there and he he played us like uh some of the new Seosin stuff like this is before Seosin like was known right like he had just recorded it and yeah I legit was just like dude what the fuck is this this is crazy like right. you guys are going to be fucking massive like holy shit and and then Anthony uh came in the room and waved his penis in my face and that was how, <laughs> that was literally how I met him he like walked up to me with his dick out swung it around in my face and i was like what the fuck is going on (laughs) did you know that he was the singer of seosin when he did that i did not and then (laughs) and then we all laughed you know it was like it was like a funny thing i guess and um 
and we hung out and I was like, oh, you sang, you're the singer. Like, that's crazy. Like, I thought that that was a female. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah, like we all hung out and yeah, I just, I legit was just like, fuck dude. Like, like you sure it's Sayosin? You you just don't want to replace Chris on bass? Like I'll play bass. (laughs) Uh, I did not say that to them, but. (laughs) Well, I'm sure word is around that. Anthony has left Seosin, right? Because it was a pretty dramatic departure. Mm-hmm. So then you get this call from Brendan and Colin that they're starting this new band with Anthony. Yeah. Yeah, basically. It was... Some time had passed, right? Because I think... I mean, dude, that, that, all that stuff was so fast. Like, like I think they, they were a band for like six months or something. You know what I mean? Like... They did like a few tours and then he was out. We we recorded that record and then probably like a month, like maybe a month before the final taken shows is when Brendan called me and was like, hey, me and Colin are starting this new band with Anthony. I was like, oh shit, that's crazy. And um, I want to say he, I think he just came out with it and he was like, he's like, yeah, we would like you to play bass potentially, like if you're interested and um, of course, that was like a very exciting thing to hear because, like I said, I was already like kind of wishing that I could play in a band with Anthony. But I was also like, I kind of had already switched my whole mindset of like, okay, time to like figure my life out. And um, so <laughs> at first, I was like, I was like, ah, that's crazy. Like, especially like just moving. You know, there, I was like, what, am I supposed to just, like, move to the East Coast? Like, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, uh, that sounds fucking crazy. Like, you know, I was basically picturing, like, doing what Taken had been doing, but couple that with, like, just, like, moving across the country. And I was like, that's not possible. Like, how's, how does that, gonna, how's that work? You know, like, and uh, he was like, well, you know, we're like, we have a deal with Equal Vision and, like, uh, we have a booking agent already. Like we're we're just gonna fucking go and tour. And uh, and he sent me the demo for for handshakes at sunrise. And when I heard it, I was like, oh my god! Like, okay, uh, I absolutely want to do this one hundred percent. But I was still kind of like, I, I just thought if I told my parents that I was gonna do that, they would like kill me probably i was just gonna ask like what did that conversation look like with your parents you're like all right no look i'm not gonna do take and i get my (laughs) shit together however i am actually gonna move across the country to join another band (laughs) yeah i mean i was hesitant to even tell them well i was hesitant to do it right and then colin called me you know after brendan and he was like hey like i really think you should do this And, and so this is the first time that that i colin was so fucking confident when he talked to me, he was just like, this is going to happen. He's like, we're going to tour nonstop. We're not going to like work jobs. Like we're going to do this. Like if that means we have to sleep on people's floors, we're going to sleep on people's floors. Like this is like, we're going to do it. And it was like, it was like the perfect thing to hear at the time. I was like, you know what? Fuck this shit. Yeah, I'm all in, dude. <laughs> like I'm going to do it. Uh, but yeah, then when I had to go tell my parents... Uh, they, they were surprisingly supportive, you know, like I was scared to like super scared, but I just told them, I was like, you know, I think that this is actually going to be something pretty awesome. And like worst case scenario, like, cause the goal was that I was going to go out there and we were going to write and record the first record that was like already set in stone. We already had 
they already had the studio time booked with Brian McTernan like in November. And this was like in March or something. So yeah, it was like fly fly out in July and we're we're going to use the money from Equal Vision to to rent a house for th- for 3 months that we all live in and we're just going to write music all day. And then in November we're going to go to Maryland and record with Brian McTernan, who did all the cave inch stuff that I loved, like, you know what I mean? Like it was kind of this whole, just like, holy shit, this is like a dream uh, situation. I definitely thought that like, there was a strong possibility that that's all it would be is that I would go there, live there for a few months writing, record the record. And then like, maybe that was going to be it. But I was like, okay with that as a possibility. Like I was like that, that just sounds like, uh, an opportunity that I can't pass up in my life. So I kind of told my parents that I was like, this is just like, I have to do this. Like, and they were like, okay, well, you know, you were always here. Like if it doesn't work out you come back and go from there. And I was like, all right, thanks. Yeah. When I think of great stories in music, I always think of you, Nick, because this is a pretty big decision. You know, mm-hmm. you're moving across the country with people you barely know, one of which who's waved his penis in your face. (laughs) And you're going to record this album with some guys that you kind of know and some other guys that you really don't know. Yeah, and Steve I didn't know at all, right? Actually, when I agreed to to join, Steve wasn't even... They didn't have a drummer yet. They were just like... They were still looking for a drummer. Yeah, and you got to be locked in with the drummer. I mean, you're, you're part of the rhythm. Yeah. I was a bit intimidated just because... Like, I felt pretty comfortable and confident in, like, my abilities at that point. But at the same time, you know, Taken is just, like, a different kind of band. And um, I knew that, like, Brendan and Colin didn't want to do stuff like that anymore. They didn't want to sound like this Day Forward um, or Taken, you know, which is in a similar vein. Like, they wanted to, like, make some new kind of, like, rock. Like, some new kind of rock music that, that was cool. And, um... I was kind of intimidated, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, what if I go out there and they're just like, dude, this guy fucking sucks. (laughs) You know, like, why did we have him out? Like, yeah, we saw him like chugging with Taken. Like, why did we think he was going to be able to do this shit? So tell us about your last moments in Southern California. Did you tell people I'm going to do this thing? Did you sit on a bench and wistfully look at the ocean one last time before you (laughs) ventured off to the East Coast? What'd you do? I mean, pretty much the the last uh, Taken shows were, or maybe like a week. Like the date that I flew out was based around my last shows were Taken. So I want to say my flight out was like maybe a few days after. Like I had booked it to to go out there as soon as possible. So my last times living there was playing those Taken shows, which were really cool, you know. But I was just excited. I was like excited to get out there and. Um, that, that, you know, that was like another kind of dream of mine when I was in Taken. I was like, man, it'd be so cool to just like live in a house with these dudes, like just like a band house. And we just like do this. So I, knowing that that was what we were going to do when I got out there, I was, I was super excited. So you get to Pennsylvania. Was it culture shock for you? Who were you living with? What's the living situation? Like, if you if you got to go to the store, does someone have to drive you? Like, set the, <laughs> set the stage for us a bit. Yeah, so 
I think during my time with Taken, I made friends with uh, a girl named Leah over there. I don't know if you know Leah Velner. I don't think so. Okay. Well, she she did merch for Taken on on one tour, and so she lived in the city. And um, when when I got the call from the dudes, I hit her up and I was just like, "Hey, is there any way I could crash there for a little bit until?" this new band like finds the house that we were going to rent. Cause that was the plan is that we were going to rent a house, but I knew we weren't going to have it immediately. You know, everybody like Colin was like, you can crash with me if you need. Like, I think Anthony said like he, I could crash at his parents' house if I needed to. Uh, so I knew there was like places to go, but I hit her up and she was, she was uh, okay with that. So um, the first place I went was to her house and she lived like right off South street so I had access to, you know, stuff that I needed living in the city. And um, I would take the train up to uh, Langhorn and then Colin would pick me up. And our first, our first uh, times practicing was like at his parents' basement. And who was there? It was you, Colin, Brendan, Anthony, and was Steve in the picture yet? Yeah, so Steve, I think they got Steve on board literally like days before I flew out. So all the timing just like lined up really well. So our first practices together were with everybody. And uh, I remember we did, so some of them were at Colin's parents' basement. And then there was one at Anthony's parents' basement, like when they were out of town. (laughs) (laughs) And it was kind of like a party too. Like, like he, there was like people over and it was just like, it seemed like it was all legit. And then I remember like, we were up all night and then Anthony like got a text from his parents, like in the morning that they were like coming home early. And he started, he was like, Oh fuck. He's like, everybody's got to go right now. And I was like, oh, shit. I was just going to say Anthony's parents would definitely not cool with you guys playing in that house. Yeah, Knowing his I don't, parents, like, <laughs> I don't know that they knew, I, you know, they might not know now that that happened. Like, yeah, that, but it was, it was mostly in Colin's parents' basement. We, we did it in Steve's parents' basement a couple times. Like, we just like went wherever we could at first for the first, um, I might've been there like a month before we, we found the first house. Tell us about those first practices. Was it weird? Did you have to find your footing? I mean, that, that must've been some situation. It was cool. Like, like I said, I, I was pretty nervous, you know, cause I felt like I was a little bit out of my, out of my depth as far as like my just experience in music. Like, I mean, to this day, I don't, really know a lot like about music theoretically you know what i mean like yeah and i just i i thought that like i was like man i wish i knew more (laughs) like like i I was just afraid of um like i can't just jam you know what i mean like i can't just play like like we do it right we jam but like 90 percent of the jam is like fumbling around until you're like oh shit that sounds cool but, you know, there's 90% where you're literally just, like, playing the worst stuff until you find it. And I was scared of that. I was like, I don't want to, you know, I thought maybe, like, that they would just think that I suck because I couldn't just, like, do cool shit right away. But as soon as you start playing, like, all those feelings just go away. You know what I mean? And it was just really fun. Everyone was having fun. You know, we were in, like, a basement with bad sounds, so it's not like, you can't really even really hear what's going on exactly. Just making loud sounds and having fun. So tell us about the dynamics leading into the recording of Juturna. 
had you connected better with everybody? Had we found our footing? Was there difficulty in in getting it all together to get into the studio? Not too much. I mean, you know, there there was like a little bit, right? There was there was definitely some uh, just butting heads over ideas and how things should go, right? But honestly, not bad. The most dramatic thing that happened was that um, initially we had this girl Camille was supposed to be a keyboard player I remember in the that. band, <laughs> and um, she was not a keyboard player. Like she was Colin's friend, so like I think that was that was like why she was there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know. It was just like not a great idea because she literally was not a keyboard player. Like she didn't know how to play. <laughs> How do you find out that she can't play? Are you like, all right, we're going to start this song, and then everyone's just like, what's going on? Yeah, like, well, well, first of all, the biggest problem is that we like we didn't really have the equipment necessary for her to even play with us. Like, we didn't have like a PA capable of like keeping up with our amps and drums. Right. So there was no way to like actually even analyze like what she was doing, like. In the early days, what would happen is we'd be jamming in the basement and then call, like, I don't know if it was Colin's idea or whoever, they're just like, just like play, like jam along with us in the, in another room so you can actually hear what you're doing and like try to write stuff. And then we'll, we can like record it later, but like just while we jam, like you jam too and try to come up with parts and, um, so we weren't really even like hearing what she was doing, but then at some point we went to go record the demo for what ended up being the great golden baby. And, um, like she just, she could not play like <laughs> she was not able to play. And it, um, it was like so painful. We were all in the room. Like, I don't know why I stayed in the room. I should have left, but we were just like sitting in there while, while Vince was like trying to record her, playing and it was just like you don't know how to play it's so refreshing to hear this story because i thought i was the only person in the world that this happened to (laughs) that happened to you my last band we were so loud that i just assumed the bass player knew what he was doing you know i was like he's got five strings he does all this annoying slappy (laughs) poppy stuff between songs he knows what he's doing he can play an open e in the fifth fret like (laughs) so we get to the studio and he doesn't he doesn't know a single song Oh my like, god! Like it's it's his turn to record the bass for the EP, and he yeah. doesn't know any of the songs. It's crazy. Like, and I I'm I'm such a sucker that I'm not, I didn't say like, <laughs> okay, go home. I'll do it. I was I was like barking at him, like, all right, do this now, this now, th-, and somehow we got through it. Like, yeah. it took all day, but it, it was really awkward. That was how it went. Basically, it took all day to yeah. uh to get her her keyboard parts recorded. And at the end of it, it was like, you know, he, like Vince was like cutting it together to make sense. Like, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's amazing what you can get away with in a loud live environment. Like it, when you get in the studio, you can't hide anymore. Like you have to know what you're, you have to be able to play. Like it's all that stuff comes to the forefront. That would be like a classic comedy skit. Like guys in the band for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out he's doing nothing the whole time and then they yeah. go to record a comeback album and it's like what have we been paying you for richie it's your turn <laughs> go <laughs> well it's all a learning experience right yeah for sure so let's jump ahead 
a bit, Nick, because I want to talk about the wonderful A Dream About Love EP that was released in October of this year on Rise Records. Now, this was a departure in sound for Circus Survive. I love what the band is doing. I love the new elements that have been introduced. I love everything about it. How did this session differ from other sessions for other albums? I want to say that this record is like, it's been in in the making for a long time because Steve makes like programmed stuff constantly. Like he's done it since literally the beginning of the band. Like he used to use Fruity Loops and then, you know, now he uses Ableton. But like, that's that's what he does. He makes like super weird, trippy program stuff. And for the for the entirety of the band, it was always a thing where he would make these really cool things and we'd be like, man, this is so cool. But like, we can't play that. Like, how would we even play that? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like these weird random sounds that like, that's not a guitar or a bass guitar or even a drum kit. Like, those are just like weird blips and boops and stuff. Uh, it sounds awesome though. And we used to take, sometimes he would make an idea and we would try to like make it sound like us, right? We would like try to turn it into a circus song and, and the results were never that good. Like they never became songs that we kept because they just weren't as good. But the problem is that we were trying to take these things that were already good and change them to something else. And like I said, for the beginning, like for the entirety of the band, this has been going on. And uh, for whatever reason, this is the first time where we were just kind of like, like, fuck it. Okay, yeah, that's not a real drum kit. And there's like, there's not a guitar or bass happening. But like, why? Like, this is our song. Like, who gives a shit? And uh, we'll figure out how to play it later. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a problem for a future Circa. The writing process this time, we had a, a session with Will where he came to Steve's, the place where we practice at Steve's house and set up there. And we basically, we each had our own like full computer setup. And like we, we all run now through like, uh, like Helix guitar uh, processors, which I'm not sure if you're familiar. It's just like a multi-effects guitar processor right but you can do bass through it or whatever you can do anything through it and so we each had one of those and we each had a computer and the capability to like to listen in headphones to what we're doing ourselves and basically there was just no rules it was like anybody can make a beat anybody can make a bass line anybody can make a synth line anybody can make a guitar line like just make stuff right and so we did this these sessions for like 10 days with Will where every day the goal was to just make a song, at least one song. And um, like it would just start out literally like, like Steve would program a drum loop and play it and just have it loop. And while that was looping, we would all be in our headphones like playing on a synth or playing on a bass or playing on a guitar, just trying to find something to play along. And then when someone had something, they'd be like, Hey, Will dropped me in. He would like put us on the track and we would record that piece. And then someone else would hear that and, oh, now I have an idea to that. And uh, that was, we just kind of like built songs like that. So, like, for instance, uh, the song Drift, Colin programmed the drum beat or the drum loop. 
And then while that loop was playing, Brendan came. Brendan uh, played the bass line, came up with the bass line, and then dropped that in. And then I uh, recorded like the Rhodes piano on top of that. So it was just, it was the first time where we were literally just like, who cares who's playing what? Like, who cares if we literally can't play this live? Uh, at least in this form, like it's not going to sound like this, but like, who gives a shit? So yeah, that was, and and that's why it sounds different than anything else, you know, because in the past we were very locked in on the idea of like, well, I, I'm the bass player, I'm playing bass and you guys are playing guitar and you you use those effects that you always use and Steve's drum kit is recorded in high fidelity in the studio to have this very high fidelity drum sound and you know what I mean? So you end up with the same sounds and like, yeah, we're writing new songs and different songs, but like they're just going to still kind of have, it still sounds like Circa. Like I think every record we've ever made prior to this record to somebody that doesn't listen to Circa, they wouldn't be able to tell you, oh, this is from a different album for the most part. I think they're like, of course there's some variation to that, but you play them this record and they might not even know it's the same band if it wasn't for Anthony singing. Yeah. And I think with a band like Circa Survive, there's a lot of pressure because you have a large following, you have an established following. So it could be scary to take a risk, right? Yeah. And I think that was always holding us back to a, to a degree as well, right? Like we, you want to make the people that like the band happy, but I think... I think we've reached a point in our lives, I guess maybe turning 40, where we're just like, you know, I think if we're happy, then like the majority of our fans are going to be happy. Right. And I think as artists, you have to take risks because I don't know if you're just doing the same thing over and over again or sort of the same thing. I mean, whatever it is. Yeah. Like me, I don't know if I can ever write another drop D sounding album that's hum worship. I don't think I can do that again. Like that I I've done that my whole life. Like I wanna I wanna try something else. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'll tell you, our intention for every record we've ever made, we always wanted it to be different. And while we made it, we were kind of like, this is gonna be different. And then at the end it's kind of like, well, it is, but it isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was like, we, we certainly tried, we certainly wanted that end goal, but I think the real key is to like, well, if we want it to be different, like we, we have to do different stuff than we've been doing, you know, like as long as we're all playing those same things, same, same instruments, like we're going to get the same thing. Like, I don't know why we ever expected it to be any different, you know? I think Nick, what you said, turning 40, which Tommy and I are about to as well, you just care less about outside opinions i know i've reached that stage like yeah i would be really wrapped up and oh i don't want people to know i listen to this or what is so and so going to think if i do this and it literally doesn't matter a bit like is the guy who's telling me that my taste in music is shitty like is he gonna help me pay for my mortgage if uh if i miss a payment you know is is he gonna congratulate me if i listen to the band that he's telling me to listen to None of it matters. None of it matters. Yeah, it really doesn't. So we have the EP out now. We have this exciting new sound. What What's next, Nick? Are we going to further explore this, this interesting and creative realm? What's going to happen? Or can we not reveal that yet? Well, I guess I don't know for sure, you know? 
I feel like probably, like I don't, I think we've opened Pandora's box and we probably can't close it now, but <laughs> I think at this point it's like, well, we got to fucking like survive the uh, COVID first <laughs> because we're, yep. we're just so fucking held back by it. It's like, yeah, we have a tour next year, but like every day I'm just like, is this tour going to happen? Like I know tours <laughs> are happening now, but like, oh, well now there's a new variant. Like, I just want it to be over. Yeah, me too. I don't think it ever will be, unfortunately. Well, yeah, it's it's certainly not going to be over, over, but I'm just hoping it gets to a point where it's like not not so threatening to, well, I mean, our industry. Like, it's just like, okay, well, you do a tour, but like if someone gets COVID, then you have, you cancel two weeks of shows and then suddenly the tour is like fucked, you know? Yeah, I really hope we get to a stage where things are stabilized. I remember I remember hearing people say in early 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 in the pandemic, I remember hearing people say, "Oh, things will never be the same." And I would get angry. I'd be like, "Oh, stop. Yes, they will. Things will things will be back <laughs> to normal by next year because I don't think I was ready to process the fact that things would never be the same, but mm-hmm. that seems to be the case." Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. It's a true bummer. But what isn't a bummer is that Circa will be back on tour in early 2022. <laughs> what an excellent segue. There you go. Uh, <laughs> thank you. I'm a uh, seasoned professional. Now, <laughs> I, I bought tickets for the Blue Sky anniversary tour so long ago, I didn't even remember if I had them or not. And I went and checked and I still did. So is it is it going to be a Blue Sky anniversary tour or are we just going to tour? Uh, no, it is. I, I mean, like, man... I, I wish it didn't have to be, honestly, because it just, at this point, like, well, sp- like the timing's so bad, right? Like, we got a new record. Right. Wish we were playing that stuff, but, um, I mean, it'd be, it'd be fucking weird at this point to be like, psych! Like, because, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what people bought tickets for that show, so. Right, you uh, can't bait and switch, yeah. I, yeah, it would be really, I, honestly, I don't know if we legally could do that, like, without like just uh, like offering refund yeah i was gonna say issue <laughs> issue twenty thousand refunds like good luck yeah it's like uh but it's gonna be cool like i i was super pumped to do it back before the shit hit the fan it was gonna be awesome uh so it's still gonna be awesome it's just uh unfortunate that we have new music but i think we'll be playing some of that stuff like at the the vip in the beginning or before the shows so that'll be cool oh that's nice yeah. So now Taken put out a new EP in 2018 with regard to via other people's records. And I want to talk about this too, because the EP is amazing. I love it. So how did Taken decide to start playing together again? When did that happen? It's one of those things that like, I mean, Ray's been like pushing for it forever. You know what I mean? Like, like we wrote the first song for that record in 2008 oh um like taken did like a reunion japan tour in 2000 2008 and so when we were practicing for that tour we we like had time so we wrote that song how do you do a reunion tour in japan (sighs) fucking 
fuck if I know. <laughs> um, no, for whatever reason, Taken does good in Japan. We did it. They've done several other Japan tours without me because I was busy with Circa. And I did another one in 2000, around the same time, 2018, we went to Japan. I mean, we're not like big by any means, but like we were, you know, we play like shows to 100 to 200 people in Japan, which like is more people than we would play for in the States, like <laughs> at any point in, in Taken's career, other than like in Southern California. So it's just wild, man. Like, I don't, I don't know what's up with Japan, but they like Taken over there. Well, Taken is a great band. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, I didn't mean it in that way. I just mean like, like why Japan? It's so random, you know, like, uh, I, I mean, I think a big part of it is the, the record label that, that put out the Taken stuff in Japan. Uh, I think that's, a. I guess that's probably really the reason why it works there, but they, they like melodic, like they love melodic hardcore in Japan. Like it's huge over there. Yeah, like when I listen to the first song on the, it's like the Taken discography thing. I can almost hear like a Envy influence or something like that. Like that fast, melodic, shrieky hardcore. I'm thinking of the song Arrested Impulse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, um, so there's actually like, there's a Taken cover album that was put out in Japan. Japanese bands covering Taken songs. Like there's a, there's an album that, Whoa. that, that yeah, got put really? out. Yeah, it's fucking weird. It's like, why? <laughs> How does so that random. feel? How does that feel? Like, the most recognition I ever got was someone posted a random comment on a, a song from my EP on Bandcamp and was like, wow, I really connected to this. And I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> How does it feel to have a cover LP of your band <laughs> in another country? It's so weird. Like, I literally don't get it. But um, it's, it's yeah, it's like you said, it's the coolest thing ever. It's fucking awesome. Do you listen to the record and think like, no, nah, they're playing that bass wrong. Like, they need to fix this. No, actually, oh man, I can't, like, it's been a long time since I I heard it. But like, one of the songs, like, the, the bass is like so much better than like <laughs> what I do. I'm just like, holy shit, why well, should have done that? Like, that's way better. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So do you ever think back on your life and think, what if I had not gone to Pennsylvania? I could be a video game developer right now. <laughs> I Sometimes I do, you know, like, uh, I mean, I, yeah, maybe, maybe I'd be happier as a video game developer. I don't know, but I doubt it. I, I'm, I feel pretty fortunate the way things went. And uh, I'm, I'm always just like, when is this gonna like end? Like, <laughs> like surely this can't, continue into my 50s right i used to say like literally when circus started and we started seeing some success i just turned 23 when i moved and started circa and then like you know after the first year of touring it was like well this is actually going pretty good and just getting it's getting better and better every time i remember thinking like well there's no way i'm gonna be like this is not gonna happen into my 30s like there's just no way like, this is like a flash in the pan that's going to sizzle out. Uh, and then I hit my 30s and I was like, well, this is, okay, it's certainly going to end by the time I hit 40. Uh, and now I'm hitting 40 and I'm thinking about, about my 50s. And uh, the fact that we've been surviving over this two-year pandemic is crazy enough. So I don't know, man, like... Maybe I will still be doing this when I'm 50, but I feel like I'm I'm just like fully playing with house money at this point. And, um However long this goes, it's like 
it's been a real blessing. Absolutely. It's the story of the band, I think, is an incredible and unique story. And you're part in it as well, because you you rarely get that call like, hey, we're putting together this thing that's awesome and we want you to be a part of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what? I got to ask Brendan. I, I don't think I've ever asked him or like any of the guys. I, I only think of Brendan because he was the first one to call me. But like, like, I should ask them like, what? Like, who thought to like hit me up? Like, because like, like thinking from their perspective, like, why would they want to take on the like responsibility of like flying somebody from the other side of the country? Like, there's plenty of like really good bass players like that they already knew. I mean, Colin's brother was like, is a fucking shredder. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess he was, you know, he was pretty busy with days away at the time, but right. I've never like asked them that, you know, I'm going to fucking call Brendan right after this and be like, why did you guys even think of me? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious too. And I remember reading an old, old interview with Circa. I'm talking like first or second year. And I remember someone saying that you were just really professional and you had your stuff together and really? <laughs> like something like that. Like you were a good fit. I think from talking to and knowing all the guys, I think they wanted to put together the dream team where there would be no interruptions to the process or anything. Like, no, I have to go to work or no, I have to do this. Like, this is what we're doing and this is all we're doing type of deal. You probably factored into that. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I was I was going to be the um the responsible one, probably. That's an interesting point. Now, I, I see you, Nick, as sort of the glue that holds the band together because you seem like you really have your shit together, like you're a solid guy. You don't seem like you have too many controversies. Am I am I on point here? I think so. Nice. <laughs> I think that's definitely true. I mean, nah, I'm not trying to like toot my own horn here, but I feel like I definitely am the glue that's held the ship together through some of the hard times. I like that. Do you ever have to mediate and be like, hey, I need you to go over here. I need you not to say that. All right, we're going to take five. Like how involved do you get? <laughs> uh, maybe not to that degree, I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think I just, I always want to be very involved in uh, the logistical side of things and making sure that everything is like in line, you know, for what we needed to do, like actually like touring and stuff like that. Have you ever had any difficulty that you've had to overcome? Honestly, like I, I feel like I'm very lucky. Like I've, I've never struggled with uh, depression or anxiety or drugs or alcohol. Um, yeah, I, I feel like everything's just kind of always been more or less easy for me. So I'm just really grateful for that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> for someone who like has anxiety going out the door for literally anything, like it, that, it, it just sounds like a dream. Yeah, I mean, the, the hardest thing for me is um, just like my, my shyness, I guess. Or like I have anxiety for, for like performing, right? Like I get like stage anxiety, but not, that's not the same thing as like anxiety, anxiety. And sometimes I, you know, when I hear the other dudes like talking about that kind of stuff, like depression and anxiety, like I almost forget that it's like, like a thing that people deal with. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, when yeah. they start getting into it, I'm like, holy fuck, like you have to live with that. Like, I don't even know what that's like. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard for me to even relate to it because I have literally never felt that. What do you think your secret is? Good genetics? <laughs> I just, just think I'm lucky. I, I honestly don't know. 
how much of that is genetics? So here's an important question. Which is better, East Coast or West Coast? Uh, well, everything but the weather is the East Coast, for sure. Yes. We, we have to have better food, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or at least, at least better pizza, for sure, 100%. I mean, I love all pizza. People make fun of me because like, I'll eat like, what most would consider like dog shit pizza. And I'm like, that was amazing. Like, I love that. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, you, how do you, you can't fuck up pizza? Like, I eat pizza almost every day. I'll eat it on the West Coast. I'll eat it in the Midwest. I'll eat it on the East Coast. I'll eat frozen. Yeah. I'll eat real. I don't care. I just like it. It's just good stuff. Yeah. But yeah, food, like the vibe, the people, the culture is, uh, I think, definitely better on the East Coast compared to the West. And maybe that's just because it's older. I don't know. But the weather, though, I would move back for the weather. <laughs> <laughs> maybe once you retire from the band in your 60s. Oh, you don't think I can make it to my 60s, dude? <laughs> <laughs> so you said you wanted to be a video game developer. Now, mm -hmm. does this mean that you enjoy gaming? Oh, yeah. All right, so we got to talk about this. What are you playing, and uh, what, what's your thing? I mean, I haven't played a lot recently. Like, the last couple games I played was um, Breath of the Wild. Yes. And um, Ghost, of, Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, I really want to play that. Yeah. It was really good. Other than that, like, this is kind of embarrassing, but I really like Fortnite, unfortunately. Hey, man, I, I played Fortnite for a little bit, but... Once Call of Duty Warzone came into my life, there was no looking back. That was like my <laughs> Circa Survive, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I played uh, Warzone a little bit, but like yeah. I, at that point, I had already invested so much time into like the skill set of Fortnite that like I just couldn't fully depart from it. You know what I mean? Right, right. I, I've put so much time into Warzone and learning it and buying a gaming PC and learning how to play on keyboard and mouse. I can't like switch to another game now. I've invested <laughs> so much. It's dude, the time investment's crazy. I've definitely spent I've played Fortnite probably more than any other game in my entire life. I would I would have to guess. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I do a lot of stuff, you know, podcasts, plays, bands, different accomplishments, but I feel no greater joy than winning a solos battle royale <laughs> me versus 150 people and i am the victor it's crazy right it's it's a pretty good feeling it's the best feeling and like no matter what like when you're when it's down to like the last couple people like your heart fucking goes dude like your heart is like pumping like hands are sweaty like shaky like yeah, it's crazy. Nothing can make me have a visceral reaction like that, <laughs> except yeah, a battle royale. It's crazy. So you had a tour planned with Taken and Hope's Fall in Japan, yes? Is that still going to happen at some point? Oh, my God. Um, I mean, they're still trying to make it happen. Yeah. it's Again, that's another thing that just keeps getting pushed back. And uh, I think the barrier to entry for Japan is, like, obviously much harder than... And just like in the states, so I, I'm not sure you it, like you can even tour there like as someone from the states at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like legally, I don't think you'd be allowed to. So uh, I'd imagine it's going to happen at some point. So we just don't know yet. Yeah, just don't know. I mean, the original one I wasn't going to be able to do anyway, but uh, maybe it'll get pushed back to a time that I can do. So let's recap, folks. Here's what we're going to do: we're going to listen to the Taken discography 
It is out there on streaming services. Yes. Is there any physical releases or other stuff we can purchase to support the band? Um, probably. (laughs) 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 Uh, Honestly, man, I don't know. With regard to, it has to, there has to be physical copies of that to purchase somewhere. I'm sure there is, but it might be harder to find, you know? So if we haven't heard Taken, we're going to listen because it's a great band, folks. If we find physical copies of records to buy, we're going to do that to support the band. Yes? Yes. Yes. (laughs) And we're going to listen to the illustrious career of Circus Survive. There are many classic albums out there. We want to listen to all of those. Yes? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. All right. And uh, if we get a call from a friend asking us to join a band and move across the country, we're going to say yes and do it, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. But also not hold Nick Beard liable if it all fucking ruins your life. Yes, yes. Our lawyers are asking me to say <laughs> that uh, Nick Beard will not be held for any uh, failed dreams or uh, misadventures from joining a band across the country. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So we want to listen to A Dream About Love, the new Circus Survive EP. It's out now on Rise Records. We definitely want to check that out, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not? Might as well. I mean, what else are you going to do? I mean, what else is there to do? There's nothing else to do. We play Battle Royales and we listen to Circus Survive. That's what we do. I mean, if you play a Battle Royale while listening to that record, I personally guarantee a victory. Like, there's (laughs) no other possibility. Um, And you can take me to court over that if you want to. (laughs) So leave us with some closing words, Nick, if there's uh, anything you want to plug or a uh, uh, some in- inspiring words that you want to leave with the people. I mean, just thank you guys for having me on. Um, like you said, and I guess like I said, like if you get a an opportunity that maybe seems crazy to you at the time, well, it might be crazy, but you, you know, maybe you want to go find out if it's actually crazy. That's good advice. I've talked to a lot of bands And one of the common denominators seems to be taking risks, taking chances, because as they say, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And uh, you do have to risk it in order to uh, get the biscuit as well. That's true. It's very true. I like that. Well, Nick, we really appreciate you. We love the music that you create, as many do. And I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. For sure. It was super fun. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thank you again, Nick. There you have it, folks. Nick Beard. Excellent human. Excellent conversation. Tommy, I really liked hearing about the recording process for A Dream About Love from Circus Survive. I thought that was fascinating how everyone has a separate computer set up, right? And it's not even like, oh, I'm the drummer, you're the guitar. Like when he yeah. when he said Brendan picked up a bass and wrote a bass line to kick things off, I think that's I think you really have to be in a special place for a band to put ego aside and just be like, we're going to write this thing together on whatever instrument, however we write it. He put it in a way that really kind of resonated with me, which was, if we're all playing the same instruments and doing the same thing, why are we expecting a different result? 
Yeah. Like, you know, it's always going to sound like a circa record if we're always doing the same thing, um, you know, which has its good and its bad points. But like he kind of put it as like, you know, when he's talking about like we have people that are fans and regardless of whatever their preconceived notions are, or this doesn't sound like the one before this or I wanted it to sound more like blue sky noise or I wanted it to sound like violent waves like people are fans of circa not yes. fans they're not necessarily a fan of the sound that they produce they like what the band does period so uh i love that they have a fan base like that and on top of that kudos to them for actually really putting themselves out there and being like we're gonna try some new shit we're gonna try something completely different where everybody's roles get mix matched and everybody kind of does their own thing i think that's an absolutely brilliant way to make music and it, it shows in that ep absolutely and it was great to hear about Taken. Taken has a tribute record, Tommy in Japan. I, I that kind of that kind of blew me away. Yeah, like I still think like when you hear about bands like you know playing here in the states, and they're like, "Well, when we played in Japan, I'm like, wait, you guys go to Japan?" <laughs> I remember I remember when a Life Once Lost was on tour with Napalm Death. Uh, I was talking to one of the guys who wasn't in the band. He was like one of the people that just toured with them and uh, helped with sound and like move stuff and did merch and things. And I was like, I was talking about the touring and he was like, you have no idea how big Napalm Death is in Japan. And I was like, really? He's like, dude, fucking huge. He's like, it's, it's unbelievable how many people show up to the shows. And here they are playing a stone pony with like, you know, 250 people. I'm like, really? He's like, dude, it's fucking nuts. It's absolutely nuts. Well, thank you, Nick, for speaking with us. That was great. And Tommy, it is now time to select. We had tried to select a winner for the Earth Crisis, Return of the California Takeover LP, but we could not reach Life from Loam. So we have to move on and select a new winner. And we also have a winner for the One Step Closer record. So let's do this, Tommy. The winner of the Return of the California Takeover LP from War Records is... Jamie Lauren. He reposts us all the time on Instagram, and we appreciate that. He loves the show. So, Jamie Lauren, you have won the Return of the California Takeover LP. I will be getting in touch with you so we can get that record shipped out to you. And the winner of the One Step Closer, This Place You Know, Colored Vinyl from run for <laughs> cover records is Darren Thompson congrats Darren Thompson I will also be getting in touch with you so we can get a shipping address for the record cuz you see folks we are the new scene and we are the show that keeps on giving what do you think of that Tommy I think it's accurate <laughs> i actually i actually before we started this segment i actually asked keith i was like yo have you ever mailed vinyl before because i know it can kind of be a hassle and he's like no the record company takes care of that <laughs> i was like <laughs> good because it's a pain in the ass i i remember i sold one seven inch on on ebay and i was like never again with the amount of packaging i had to put in it and all the insurance on i was just like dude this is not worth the time or effort record collectors are very 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 particular and if you ship that record wrong or if it's not in the or if it's not in the condition that you said it was you're going to hear about it for sure they are a fickle bunch at best oh yes 
How are we doing, Tommy? How are we doing? <laughs> well, I said I wasn't going to talk about this, but uh, I, I'm a little, I'm getting over being sick. So my throat hurts a little bit. My schedule changed a little bit at school. So I'm teaching a little bit more than I normally do. So my, my voice isn't a hundred percent like I would like it to be, but I have some tea and some honey and making it work. Yeah, folks, you may notice that Tommy's voice sounds a little strained. He's like, oh yeah, I had to talk for an hour and a half nonstop. And I was like, oh, so it's like any other day. <laughs> <laughs> An extra hour and a half. It's not, a, it's like four and a half hours of just teaching math. It's, it's just brutal. Other than that, everybody's doing well here. Baby's a little bit sick, but my mom's staying at home and watching her. Everybody's having a great time. Christmas tree is up. Christmas tree is decorated. House is all decorated, like inside and outside. Lights are up. Everybody's ready to go. It's full on Christmas season here at the household. And uh, I, I love it because the girls are at that age where they believe in Santa. They believe in, Do you, are you familiar with Elf on the Shelf, Keith? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm against Elf on the Shelf. I feel it is a CIA psyop to condition children to be monitored by the government and authority figures and i do not support it okay well uh <laughs> it's cute and it's fun and they at, at our house they we make it a big deal of uh we we hide the elf so the elf gets hidden in very various places so like um we have that little kitchen set yeah uh and i hid the elf inside of the refrigerator and it made it, I made it look like uh, he was uh, sneaking a snack in the middle of the night, had some cookies and some donuts and a, and a glass of milk. So, Don't you think it is unhealthy to normalize living in a surveillance state with the children? No. Why? Because <laughs> we live in a surveillance state anyway. Do you know how many fucking cameras you walked past today in New York City? yeah i guess we already, you're right. we already live in a surveillance state <laughs> so <laughs> we're just I'm, we're just accurately preparing them for the way the life will be don't worry about it you're on camera as it is um I see. but uh, everybody's doing pretty well i appreciate that how are you doing i am great i'm just stressed because there's a lot going on with work and the podcast as usual and do you, do you ever like get down on yourself for no reason like yesterday, Sunday, I was having a nice day. I got everything done that I wanted to do, and I found myself spiraling into negative self-talk or, oh, there's a problem here and there's a problem there, and there's really no problem. So I had to like stop and pull myself out and, and just be like, what are you doing? You ever, do you ever get like that? I, I do get like that. I actually had an episode recently where I, I really got down on myself because um, I, I was trying to read a lot more before I went to bed. Yeah, and I haven't been. I've been watching television before I go to sleep, and I, it's it's not a healthy habit to be into. But yeah, I totally can empathize with that. Yeah, yeah. So I I can recognize it now, which is great. And then I pull myself out. I go buy a nice meal. I listen to some music. I watch fun stuff. I do fun stuff, and then I'm like, dude, there's nothing to worry about. But Tommy, I need to talk about something very very serious and very very important with you. Sure. Okay. This Thursday. There's going to be a new Warzone map. Like the band? <laughs> Call oh. of Duty Warzone. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and now I, I have prepared a statement, and I am, uh, I'm ready to read it now, Tommy. Okay, go ahead. Okay, here we go. <laughs> okay, so thinking about the significant video game experiences in my life, the... The first and most prominent, I have to say, would be 
when I played Doom for the first time. I was 11 or 12 years old, and I fired up the computer, and the computer couldn't run it, Tommy. It froze on the main screen. But we got the computer updated, and we could play the game. I didn't know why I needed to do it. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew I needed to play this game. And Doom really shaped the fabric of video games for me. I became obsessed with first-person shooters after that, and that continued for the rest of my life, I would say, carrying into Goldeneye and Quake and many other classic games. And Tommy, in March of 2020, I experienced that life-affirming video game moment again when I discovered Call of Duty multiplayer. Now, I played a lot of multiplayer, I played a lot of plunder, but... I have settled on my love of Call of Duty Warzone. The competitiveness, the challenge, everything that goes into it. I bought a new gaming PC, partly just to try to up my game, you know? I switched to keyboard and mouse, I've been doing that, and the game has been there for me, Tommy. The game got me through the pandemic. The game got me through my most recent breakup. The squad was there for me. There was many wins, Tommy, and there was many losses. And in the end, we were there together, Tommy, together. We lost many great digital soldiers over the years, but we pressed forward, Tommy, into new loadouts, into new experiences, into new friendships, into the future. And the next phase of that chapter starts this Thursday with the new Caldera map. A brand new map. We say goodbye to Verdansk, possibly forever, and begin this new journey. And that's all I have to say. Do they get rid of the old map then? I think so. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, ex- how expansive is a new map? Like, is it, are there, like, when you go to play, is it the same, it's the same map, every, so, like, uh, related to Goldeneye? Okay, imagine one Goldeneye multiplayer level. Uh-huh. And times that by 10,000. It's an entire city. It's huge. You saw me playing a little bit on Twitch. It's it's massive. So when you go to play the multiplayer, how do you know that someone's not clear across the city? You do. You can pick up bounties so that people get marked. You pick up UAVs to see where people are. There's There's many strategies, Tommy. There's so much that goes into this game. It's almost crazy to even begin playing it. Well, it seems right up your alley. <laughs> I have to say I got very emotional during that uh during that inspirational speech for Warzone. The game has really been there for me. It got it got me through this past year big time. Do you play with the same group of people and if you play with the same group is it like a coordinated like hey we're logging on at this time and how many people? Yeah, I used to have a squad but we broke up. There was some uh internal creative differences, Tommy. Okay. And we we could not rectify them. Here's the thing, Tommy. You can be an asshole and good at the game, or you can be nice and bad at the game, but you can't be an asshole and bad at the game. <laughs> that seemed, that, that that makes total sense. Yeah, so like, I would be playing, and two of the guys on the squad, every time we they would mess up or, or die, and they'd be like, Keith, why did you do this? Keith, why did you do that? And point the finger instead of looking inward. And after a number of weeks, I got fed up, so I started snapping back. And then I said, like, hey, can we rotate 
can we start rotating who picks the drop point? Because one guy is picking everything every time and he just gets us killed. And they didn't like that idea. And then some words were exchanged that were not nice. And I exited from the situation. Oh, Lord. Yes. I'm in the market for a new squad. Gotcha. Yeah. I, uh, uh, hopefully you'll find some people through here. That'd be cool. Yeah, I think so. I think I will. I'll be streaming the new map a lot on Twitch. So check it out. Twitch.tv slash the new scene. I'll, ch- I'll pop on whenever I can. I, I like coming on because, uh, it gives me like a, it, it like you said it's kind of like a weird thing like you you turn it on and watch for a little bit and then go do something else and you keep it on and then you come back and see where they're at like it's it's pretty neat <laughs> exactly that's exactly what i do so that's it for this episode uh i'm doing great tommy are you doing all right yeah i'm doing really well okay so we're doing great we hope you're doing great the show will continue the excellent content will continue the big time guests will continue We love each and every one of you, and we thank you for being on this journey with us. So that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and until next time.